Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you. It's the first Monday of the month. It is Request Monday, and we are doing Royal Hunt's Paradox. But before we get to uh, 1997 prog metal and all its glory, Chris, I want to turn it over to you. How are you doing, my friend? Quite well. Um, We have not done this in a while, although you wouldn't know it since the episodes came out in a timely fashion, but it's been about two weeks, right? Since we've sat down and recorded. Yeah, I was, I was away for a week and I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to, uh, kind of schedule it around, around my trip because of, of the way, you know, our schedules are and whatnot. So it feels, feels good to be back. I've been excited to do this for a while because I've, I've known that this was going to be the request we were going to do. And I'm kind of shocked that we haven't, um, that we haven't done a Royal Hunt studio album to this point. And I can't think of any better request um, than this one. But before we get there, a couple of um, a couple of things that came out recently, which were very interesting. Uh, Queensryche released their new single. Obviously, we've covered uh, Operation Mindcrime um, in the archives. It was a favorite episode of many. Uh, but their new single, Behind the Walls, is coming out, or I should say has just come out. And their new album, Digital Noise Alliance, comes out on October 7th uh, on Century Media Records. This single was really good. And a lot of people, you know, kind of think that the band died after Empire. And, you know, reasonable minds can differ there. I think that they've had some pretty good material here and there. But this single was really promising and and kind of harkened back to the old sound of the 80s and whatnot. But still with this, it still was not dated. It still sounded fresh. I, I was a fan. I, I would encourage you to give it a listen if you haven't heard it yet. Uh, I will have to do that. I, in fact, that until you mentioned it, I did not even know that they had a new single. I've really, honestly, kind of lost track of of Queensrÿche since maybe since Empire. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit behind, but. Uh, I'll give yeah. it a listen on your uh, recommendation. I think I think it's definitely definitely something you'd uh, you'd enjoy, and something else I had mentioned to you off uh, offline. A Finnish band called Brymir. Um, this is a band that has been on my radar for a little bit. I was familiar with their 2019 album Wings of Fire. It was very good. Their new album called Voices in the Sky is probably better. I really enjoyed this, and for those that haven't heard them. They consider themselves melodic death metal. I don't really hear that. I hear power metal, and I hear black metal, and I hear folk metal. So call them whatever you want. They are a blend of styles, and they are really good at what they do. I think it's like a mix of like Children of Bodom meets, I don't know, meets uh, Elevati, meets, um, I don't know, Blind Guardians in spots. It's, it's really, really interesting stuff. Um, and I think that you'd like it just because it's, it's not your typical power metal. It's, it's obviously got the harsher vocals in many spots, but, um, very melodic, very catchy and something you would definitely enjoy. I plan on giving it a listen, uh, now that you've told me about it for sure. Um, anything, um, anything else come across your desk? I just, uh, like a lot of, a lot of stuff came out. Um, I didn't listen to any of it because I spent all of yesterday listening to Royal Hunt, like all day long, I went back and in the last week I've listened to uh, their first four albums, uh, some of their EPs with like some of their like acoustic versions. Like I've just been, I just went down the rabbit hole. This band is, is one of my favorites. So, uh, but um, I've heard 
a lot of positive things about both uh, Megadeth and Blind Guardian's new albums, uh, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead, and The God Machine, respectively. Um, so seeing all the, the positive reviews online um, has made me very excited to listen to those. So I hopefully will have listened to both by the time we uh, reconvene. And then I was it was also brought to my attention that uh, Soin and Sira uh, both released new singles as well. Uh, Soin, uh, the, the song is called Trials. It's from their upcoming album, Atlantis. And uh, Sierra, uh, the song is ready to rumble. So hopefully a lot of uh, Diamond Dallas Page and Bam Bam Bigelow uh, Goldberg <laughs> appearances in the, the music video. Um, I if, don't know if, if that's... Bigelow appears, that would be something. Because... Yeah, it would probably be archival footage. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if this is on an upcoming album or it's a standalone single because it, it wasn't a... Uh, uh, album for pre-order so um we'll see but uh i think um they have two albums out now this is uh the singer uh, the ex-singer jake from he used to be the clean male vocalist from amaranth this is his new band and their first two albums were quite good so i'm looking forward to hearing this and so in's a band that um i'm looking forward to um familiarizing myself more with i can't remember if um they were announced for uh, day two of Prague Power before the, our last recording, but um, them and um, the Halo Effect, who we've mentioned a few times, have been brought on to round out that uh, two, that Thursday night day two lineup promoted by Milton Mendonca. So um, I, I'm, I'm, my plan is to get more familiar with uh, So and kind of the way I got more familiar with uh, Pain of Salvation before Stradivarius uh, last year. So I actually had a nice Prague Power uh one-two punch to, to really look forward to. I'm going to give you a little bit of a correction, and it's funny because you've done this before, and I'm not going to hold you against you. Vola was announced for Bog Power. Why do I keep doing that? You've done this a <laughs> lot. But that being said, you're not all, you're not totally wrong. Soen has announced a full U.S. tour, which I'm ext- – well, actually, North American tour. It kicks off uh, November 23rd in Toronto. Actually, kicks off in Chicago the day before, November 22nd in Chicago. Uh, they go out west and end and, and the shows in California. Um, I am going to catch their th- show at the end of November at the Gramercy Theater in New York City. I'm a huge fan of theirs. Their prog power set a number of years ago was quite good. Um, their shows on 70,000 tons uh, in 2020, I guess at this point, were phenomenal, phenomenal shows. And this is their first real headlining run. So I look forward to that. And ironically, Vola is also touring the U.S. around the same time before they come back next year for prog power. So all good. I just want to put that out there. I'm going to have to listen to both bands then, I suppose. There you go. <laughs> Maybe I, 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 I And, I, and I, think you'll, I think you'll appreciate them. I think Bola yeah, especially I, is right I up your alley. I need to start d- being able to differentiate one from the other. Um, there you also, go. Um, if, I don't think this had come out the last time we talked, but uh, two new singles also that I did have a chance to listen to. Uh, Beyond the Black has a single, Is There Anybody Out There, which is, I really like it. Um, I've yet to find anything that I've not liked from this band, uh, from Germany. And also, um, Threshold, who we've talked about, uh, they released another single from their upcoming Dividing Lines album, and that song is King of Nothing. And that's, um, I believe, uh, I believe Glenn, um, wrote that song. Um, so, uh, that's a good one too. Uh, you'll find both at the end of my latest playlist. And, and, uh, I posted both of our most recent playlists on, 
our Spotify playlist page, so you can check them out there. I also encourage, uh, I, I think I had mentioned it, um, but I encourage you to go to YouTube and check out um, Tommy Johansson's covers that he's been doing. It's it, He comes out with a new track every week, um, whether he Disney Disney-fies a, a Sabaton song, or really, I should say, he Sabaton-fies, Sabatonizes a Disney <laughs> song, um, uh, or does a cover of Green Day's Basket Case, which um, the timing of that was incredible, considering we covered Sabaton and Green Day two weeks you, in a row. You um, can't make it up. I mean, yeah. you literally can't make it up. And my my personal favorite was his cover, and I, this one I had mentioned, but I'll mention it again because I liked it so much, his cover of Elton John's I'm Still Standing. Um just this, he's like, um, he's kind of becoming the new Pelike where he just kind of records a song, a cover song by himself. And, and I look forward to them coming out. Whereas Pelike is just kind of releasing covers of anime theme songs that I just don't know anything about. So it goes right over my head. I kind of miss his, his videos, but he's pretty much played every song in existence at this point with his. <laughs> 47 cover albums that's come out. So uh, I guess Tommy's taking the torch from him. So all good. Um, and, and now I guess it's time for us to go down the Royal hunt rabbit hole. The request came in from uh, Knops, which, you know, we're going to throw him a bone. I actually saw him last week when I was down in Florida, which was awesome. Um, this is an album that I think any week you and I could have picked and almost blindly, covered just because we're so familiar with it and it was such a part of our childhood growing up um but here we are we the 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 one royal hunt album we did was actually the only live album we've covered and that was 1996 which immediately preceded this album which came out a year later in 1997 on september 23rd so uh later this month i guess we're celebrating 25 years so it's actually quite timely that um that we are doing this was was Royal Hunt introduced to you by Ralph, or did you kind of stumble into this some other way? Because in terms of other stuff like Dream Theater and Fate's Warning and Halloween, Royal Hunt was always a little more obscure and just a little more off the beaten path, and, and quite frankly, doesn't sound like either of those bands, even the prog bands. Uh, yeah, that was uh, Ralph's doing. Um, this was kind of after the initial mixtape, uh, you know, the I... If I go back into my old mixtapes, I think the first time Royal Hunt would appear looks like it would be... Uh, so this was like the fifth or so tape. So this is a tape I made in like 1999, and it had uh, Tearing Down the World and Message to God on it. So that would be around the time... Um, I'd probably amassed a decent amount of albums at this point. Um, and, and Ralph had uh, given this to me as a... I want to say it was a birthday gift or perhaps a Christmas. I don't think, I don't think we were exchanging Christmas gifts in high school. It was probably a birthday gift. Um, and, uh, boy, I just popped this one in and just that the first like three, uh, full length songs just blew me out of the water. And, um, after that, I, I, I remember, um, CD now had a thing as like the, uh, like a pre-order the next Royal hunt album, Moving Target, and I, and not, me not knowing any better, I thought it was going to be their next album, not realizing that it was actually their previous album that just hadn't been released by Magna Carta in the States yet. And I was actually looking at my CD, and it, my copy of Moving Target actually it says 1998 
and wow. the copyright on it. So if you didn't know any better, I mean, it's it's the same lineup. Um, but yeah, Moving Target um, was actually came out two years prior. Um, also, that would be my second Royal Hunt album, and oh my god, that one! It's not. Uh, it doesn't have the uh, the uh, the cohesiveness. I, I would say of this album because this is more of a concept album, but. Um, it's just, it's up there with this one as far as I'm concerned. I, I'm a big fan of that as well. And then um, it wouldn't be until years later that I would discover the the first two albums. And that was through the live 1996 album that we covered. And just because those songs were so good with DC singing them, I, I was like, I got to hear the rest of these, these older uh, Royal Hunt albums with their uh, original singer, Henrik Brockman. And, I have to say, man, Land of Broken Hearts, that album is right up there with Moving Target and Paradox for me. I think Clown on the Mirror is probably my least favorite of the four. Um, but, man, Land of Broken Hearts has some songs on it that are just incredible. And I listened to this again yesterday, actually. And, whew, man, th- this band was just the first four albums. And then Fear with um, John West replacing DC Cooper on vocals. Like th- their early material is, is really out of this world. So that was my introduction. And I- I've been kind of following the band ever since I kind of got a little disinterested around the time where I was pretty much disinterested in most things metal in the early 2000s. And they would release The Mission and Eyewitness, Paper Blood. And then it was, uh, I think it was Paradox 2 going into, um, seeing them at Prague Power my first year back after seven years absence and getting myself prepped for their performance and listening to some of their newer stuff. But uh, then when DC rejoined the band in 2011, I mean, I've been right back on board. It's it's like they didn't miss a step. They've released, uh, I think, five albums already with um, at least five albums, yeah, four or five albums with DC back in the fold, and, and it's it's phenomenal. And they have um, they have a new uh, uh, Dystopia Part Two coming out later this year, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but uh, I do have uh, timely as always, Mister or Uncle Uncle Mister Uncle Knops uh, <laughs> has a little something that he would like to say. Actually, why don't we? Why don't you talk about uh, how you found out about the band? So it's not just um, 15 minutes of me blabbering. It, it was definitely through you because I don't have any independent recollection at this time and, and uh, of finding out about them. And I wouldn't have just because this was, you know, the early stages of the internet. And I don't think I was, it was this stuff wasn't as accessible. It would take me with my modem probably about four months to download an MP3. That is not a joke. It would take me about four months at that time. So I definitely hadn't heard them until I guess, um, you must have put it on one of the tapes and I must have heard it around 98. I know you put them on the tape around 99, but I, I had heard the album before before that. Um, but I think it was around 1998 and I immediately grabbed Paradox as my first album and I was blown away. And I'm, listen, I'm, I'm in full disclosure. I am a sucker for concept albums when they're done right. Um, I, to this day, don't have a firm grasp as to what the story is. I know what the, the, the broad concept is and we'll get to that shortly i'm sure but I, I can't tell you whether or not there's a story or is really just kind of uh, musical themes that they're lyrical themes that they're going with here but i just remember that the mix of the the lush keyboards 
the top-notch production, which holds up exceptionally well even today, and then DC Cooper's vocals over the top, it was just a winning combination for me. And I found the songs to be so accessible. Um, it was not something that you needed to listen to 12 times in order to appreciate. It was something that on that first listen, you'd become a fan of this band. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I have uh, I have Nops's, um thoughts about it, um, and and he he had some kind words for for me. He said, uh, "My journey into metal didn't happen until my college years, and it was carefully curated by the Christopher Nietzsche, uh, the <laughs> in all capitals." Um, yeah, what Nops probably didn't mention is that I didn't uh, I didn't give him what what he really wanted until much later when I realized he was more of a prog guy and I was trying to pound Halloween and gamma ray and, and that kind of stuff into his brain. Um, and it was this, it was stuff like this, like this and dream theater. And I think that's what that resonated more with him, but he continues um, specific styles like prog power, thrash, doom or death meant absolutely nothing to me. I simply knew what I liked. And the first time Nietzsche played tearing down the world for me, I was absolutely enamored. With the neoclassical intro, DC's vocals, the insanely catchy chorus, the almost out-of-place but bitching guitar solo, and the fantastic keyboard work, this is undoubtedly one of the most influential songs in my metal life. I didn't listen to the full album until a while later, but the rest of it was easily on par with Tearing Down the World. DC Cooper absolutely slays, and the rest of the instrumentation, keyboards in particular, is catchy and melodic, creating soundscapes that wouldn't be out of place in a Final Fantasy game or rocking the fuck out on the floor. Everything flows together so well, so it's easy to get lost in the whole album, but the songs amazingly do so well on their own as well. Seeing these guys play this album at Prague Power 16 remains one of my top festival highlights. Uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up his song of the week when we get to it, um, but uh, he does mention honorable mention goes to Silent Scream, Harps, Chords, and Metal. Giddy up. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, the, the, I, I've yet to find anyone that's heard this album that didn't love it. And I think that that's a testament to its strength. I don't even know I've ever heard anyone say that they didn't think it was like, uh, without giving a number, like a nine or above. Like it's, it's everyone that hears this is like, yeah, this, this is a masterpiece. Um, have you are you familiar with anyone that said oh it's good or I don't got, I don't like it or it's not my favorite or, or or something like that or is this pretty much widely acclaimed as like their magnum opus? I've never heard anybody say anything even middling about this album. Yeah. Like I've I, I mean it's funny because um our our friend Adam from the uh, the Facebook group was like surprised that um you know he does he lives in Europe and he was kind of surprised that uh, our awareness of Royal hunt here in the States. But, uh, you know, I think that they were one of the bigger names, at least to me in the, in the nineties that I remember hearing about. Um, and I think the fact that they had an American vocalist probably kind of helped like make it a little bit more accessible or the fact that like they were on an American label and we could buy them at a store and that they're, fan club was based out of great neck uh <laughs> i mean uh yeah i like i but getting back to the point at hand like the people that i know that have heard this album all hold it in the highest regard so um yeah i've never heard anybody say anything even like average about this and i think to your point magna carta records 
out of Rochester, no, no, no less. Magna Carta Records had a very, very, very um, strong lineup of bands, but arguably Shadow Gallery and Royal Hunt were like the big two until Liquid Tension Experiment came out in 1999. So to that end, maybe that's how we knew about it. Magna Carta Records, a New York, you know, an upstate New York label, pushing out bands in in a genre that we were, you know, not 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 many steps away from Dream Theater for sure. Shadow Gallery being even closer than Royal Hunt. I think it was just a natural fit, and it was just easier to get these albums. You know, this was, uh, it, the, the irony is it was harder for me to get Symphony X's Divine Wings of Tragedy than it was for me to get Paradox. I could go to the store and buy Paradox. I had to get uh, a, a New Jersey band's album shipped to me via, like, I don't know, Germany uh, on, on CD now and spent an arm and a leg for it. So, like, um, it, it's very interesting. But, yeah, these these this was a band we grew up with, and 25 years later, I'm still listening to them. Admittedly, I... I don't think I've listened to Paradox since 2015. I know it's seven years now, but after that set, that almost closed the chapter for me at Prog Power because it was like, this is as good as it's going to get, but I'm happy to, that we got a chance to go back and listen to it again this week because this album holds up. It really does. And a couple of things that kind of surprised me. Number one, it's shorter than I remember. It's not a very long album. And even when you include the bonus tracks, it's well under an hour. Um, yeah, and that includes, the same way. yeah, and it just, I, I guess I, in my head, it seemed like a longer album or I don't know. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I, it was just a very quick listen for me, but there's a lot of meat in those tracks. Uh, and again, I, I, like I, like I mentioned, this was just outstanding production for its time. And for a band that I don't think had a huge budget behind it, I know they were getting very big in Japan around this time. Um, and they had their fans in Europe as well. They weren't selling as many copies in the U.S. I think we probably bought half of them. But, you know, they, they, they managed to, to really put it all together for this release, and it sent them into the stratosphere for a very short period of time anyway. Yeah, uh, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything you said. and It is interesting, like, what was accessible to us at that time. I remember going to Tower Records um, on Old Country Road and buying Fear – and the and then they released that double live album, which had like portions of Live 1996 kind of condensed onto one disc, and then all of Paradox Live as the uh, the other disc. And I remember buying both of those albums at the same time. And and it, again, like you said, it was just the fact that they were accessible to us, and we were able to to buy them. I don't know that the first two Royal Hunt albums, I don't know that, I don't think they were on Magna Carta. So I don't think that they were initially released in the U S and that was part of the reason why I don't think I got them until later on. But, um, you know, I remember those four albums or, uh, five albums, uh, paradox, moving target, fear, double and double live. Um, getting all of those when I was in high school and other than the one that Ralph gifted to me all I ordered, I think, I think I ordered moving target on CD now and the other uh, bunch I bought in a store. I guess that's four albums, not five um, counting, not a strong suit of mine today, apparently <laughs> um, or knowing the difference between uh, so and Vola. <laughs> 
<laughs> all, all good. Let's um, let's get into it. This album kicks off kind of in an interesting way, and and, and the reason I say that is the the awakening is an introductory piece. It's about a minute and. 40 seconds or so. And the whole album, by the way, is, is written by Andre Anderson for the most part, which I guess is not terribly surprising. He's, he's been with the band since the beginning. Um, he's the, 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 the man behind the, the man behind the scenes that really does it all playing the keys, the backup, uh, the, you know, the rhythm guitar, etc. cetera. Steen Morgison on bass, Jacob, uh, Jer on, on guitar, Alan Sorensen on drums and, and DC Cooper, who we mentioned on vocals. I think many would say this was their classic lineup, um, you know, for this and moving target and, and before DC would lo- uh, leave the band um, and, and John West would join. But this opening track, The Awakening, is is, is an intro, but it, set, it really does set the tone for, for the entire album. It's not an intro, which is just a lead-in track. It's an intro, which kind of at least from a musical standpoint, sets the entire tone because they would revisit a lot of the acoustic passages in this song on the rest of the album. And I always found that to be one of the big draws on this album that you'd hear these extremely melodic, extremely catchy um, pieces or parts and they would just play themselves throughout and weave into different songs later on. And I, I always love that. Yeah, I, I wow, like that's really... Very well said. It really does kind of set set the stage for this whole album where, like you said, there are like um, musical themes that will come back, um, you know. And uh, I kind of wanted to, before we start talking about like the, the lyrical content, um, rather than even attempt to try to like figure out what, Andre was thinking when he came up with this concept album, it might just be easier to read it right from the, right from the, uh, the horse's mouth, so to speak. And, and mind you, I'm spending half this podcast just reading what other people have said. So pretty, pretty lazy of me, um, <laughs> but uh, I'll do it anyway, because why not? Um, what do we imagine when we are talking about God, a supernatural power, materialization of our wishes or something we all need, but can't explain. In these songs, I follow man's acknowledgement of God on a journey through time in our world, a world which man has been building since creation. He sees incredible achievements through the years, extermination of entire nations, our inexplicable desire to build the biggest and dirtiest concrete jungle, and then to escape from it by any means. Our lies, betrayals, and disrespect toward anything or anyone who is not exactly working for our cause to build a place on earth called paradise, I call this situation a paradox. Think how comfortable some feel when they commit a crime in God's name. The cruelest empires throughout thousands of years exterminated millions under the slogan, God is with us. Throughout history, man has both blamed God and credited God for things that are negative and destructive, which doesn't make sense. God does not create inquisitions or start wars. God does not create evil. Only man does. So obviously this is a very deep and heavy kind of, uh, you know, subject matter here, but, um, I think that's what really makes it interesting. And, and I think the fact that, um, Andre has such a, a great command of the English language means that you're not, there's not stuff that's lost in translation. I, obviously just from that, that was really well-written for somebody who I presume English is not his first language. Um, really deep kind of stuff. I, I have a feeling our friend, our mutual friend Brian is going to uh, enjoy this discussion because I know this kind of deeper 
dive into kind of like lyrical content and and themes uh really interest interest him and and i'll just finish that little intro with um he had uh, added a quote from rudyard kipling which says go back to earth with a lip unsealed go back with an open eye and carry my word to the sons of men or ever ye come to die that the sin they do by two and two they must pay for one by one and the god be with you so there you a little it. groundwork there for the uh the thematical themes but um yeah, uh, continue on. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, obviously, I, I don't have much to add to that other than extremely well said, very poignant, and very eloquent. Um, the, the one or two other things I just wanted to mention about The Awakening, first of all, the flute was a nice touch. Not something you really expect to hear on, on, a, on a prog metal disc, but it's, it's really a nice touch. And the outro to this little introductory track, that drumming, that almost sounds very tribal. It's a really cool effect, and I think it's a very powerful effect before you get into River of Pain, the first, you know, real track on the album, if you will. I um I always kind of like pictured that like that tribal drum as kind of like a a it doesn't have to be necessarily Native American, but I mean a, some sort of tribe that got pushed out of their land or whatever, and now they're like well, maybe, maybe one of us is going to come back and take it back. And so it's like, we're going to come to their house, to their home. And, and yeah. Oh my God. I, I got such a kick. I remember Brian would just be, we'd be like walking down the street and he'd just be screaming that. Um, and, and then he would kind of take his own twist on it and be like, we're going to go to their house and we're going to raid their refrigerators and we're going to eat <laughs> their leftover chicken parm. I'm like, all right, all right, calm down. Um, <laughs> so, um, Mike would not have forgiven me if I didn't mention that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then it just kind of, uh, that kind of, um, like you said, that kind of tribal drumming kind of leads right into uh, River of Pain, which, um, you know, when I was younger, this song was almost kind of like, I was always like, all right, let's 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 move along so we can get to tearing down the world and message to God. But, you know, um, I had posted on our group page the, the – um, the clip of silent force covering this at, at prog power three. And, and that kind of reminded me of how much I really, really like this song and the way that it kind of um, is really just how like gets this whole album started. And it, it's a little bit more of a, of a mid tempo song compared to what follows, but um, it's a, I mean, like it's, I'm going to have a harder time, verbalizing this as well as Knops and, and Andre Anderson did, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard when you're following such a ver- verbal artistry. Um, <laughs> but I, I just think this is such a great way to get the ball rolling a- along with that, you know, that acoustic guitar uh, from the awakening that kind of leads things out. But um, this is a pretty meaty track at, at, at over seven minutes. It is. And what's interesting to me is that, Normally, bands kind of lead off the album or they kick things off with like something fast and something um, that kind of just hits you in the face. They did the exact opposite. You you said mid-paced. It's borderline slow in, in a lot of spots and om- not dragging, not dragging because it's extremely catchy and powerful, but it is the antithesis of, of tearing down the world in terms of speed and, and, and whatnot. And I thought I always thought it was an interesting choice because it's 
almost in a, in a way like an extended second intro to the third track. I mean, not that you would ever say it's, it's, it's doesn't hold up on its own. It certainly does, but it's almost again, like a slow build to, to, you know, tearing down the world, which kind of hits you over the head. I, I love how the keyboards here provide a prequel to the next track. And you can see the, how these tracks are starting to blend into one another. And I think, believe it or not, as I've gotten older, one of my favorite sections is actually the instrumental section towards the end and the outro, which reminds me of Operation Mindcrime. And I, I didn't realize this when I was 15 and I was listening to the album, but now with the with the benefit of hindsight and having listened to Mindcrime 25,000 times, it, there's a there's a synergy there as well, just in terms of the way that they, they're, they're kind of amping everyone up and, and gearing everyone up for, I guess, a revolution of sorts. This is an A-plus song. And I remember, to your point, when Silent Force played this at Prague Power 3, I lost my mind because in, in my head, I was so naive and so... Um, I guess young in my, in my appreciation for live shows, I didn't even contemplate that being an option. So when they started playing it, I was like, holy shit, I'm hearing a Royal Hunt song live. And this was at the height of my Royal Hunt fandom, 2002. I mean, it, it didn't get any better for me. That was one of the highlights of, of the festival as a whole, just because of how cool a moment it was. Now there would be six years until I think we'd actually get to see Royal Hunt live and yeah. I think it was, uh, or seven years actually. Yeah, from Prog Power three to Prog Power ten. Yep. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I remember being super excited about that, and and they also played a, a song from DC's uh, solo album as well. Um, but uh, man, what what Nops was saying about tearing down the world, um, this was like the song I was. I think Ralph introduced me to the bandwidth. This is a song that I would forever introduce people. I remember playing it for you. I remember playing it for Mike, Brian, whoever would listen, like listen to this song. And if you're not like completely hooked on this band and this song immediately, I don't know what to tell you because the, the whole thing, just the way that it starts, it's just like within 10 seconds, you're just, you're just in, you're, you're hooked. Like if you, if I wanted to hook you, you'd be hooked. And (laughs) here you're hooked. The contrast between this and River of Pain is so perfect because this is, again, it's this, 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 and it's a little bit of a nostalgia pick. I want to be clear. I, I, um, it's because of that introduction that I just, you know, fell in love with it. And quite frankly, I think it's a little bit, I don't want to say overplayed, but of all the songs, I've probably played it the most just because of how many times I heard it early on. Um, the contrast I love, the, the, the synthetic violin sound, which kicks things off, is just amazing and really a, kind of almost like a precursor to TSO in a number of ways and the way that they would employ that throughout some of their albums. But the structure of this thing is so perfect and could have fit on any Royal Hunt album. I think if you had to pluck an al- a, a song off of this album and thrown it on another album, I think this would have been the one that kind of fits the best in terms of this is Royal Hunt, and and this is what I think of um, in terms of um, the band. This this track is the Andre Anderson show. There's no question about it. It's Andre Anderson. It's phenomenal backing vocals. It has the best bridge on the entire album, and DC's voice is just perfect on this track. And even though I've heard it a million times, I still it holds up. I mean, it's a little played out at this point, but it, it holds up. And if you've never heard this band, I think you could do a lot worse than than starting with this tune. 
Yeah, I mean, it's probably the Royal Hunt song I've heard the most times in my lifetime. But sure. man, it never, it never gets old to me. It, it's, it's something that like if you need to be woken up out of some sort of funk or six week coma, like this <laughs> is what you want somebody to play for you. Like, it, it, you know, even a guy in a six week coma, I think you'd see his foot tapping a little bit <laughs> with the song playing. Um, this this was Nops's song of the week, so why don't we uh, why don't we give it a a, a little listen? can I say knobs with an excellent, excellent selection. Um, and all oh, that, I, the way that DC Cooper hits that last note oof. at the end of the song. Oh my God. I mean, it's this to me, I always kind of considered Royal hunt to be more on the prog side than the power side. But this song has a lot of, uh, kind of power metal elements involved. And, and like the, like DC Cooper, the voice of his, it's he's like a power metal vocalist uh, in a prog metal band, and that that marriage I think makes this really magical combination. DC, I mean, boy, we talked about we were joking about like the the in and out of the band members of of, of this band, and and I went through the the painful the painstaking uh, the painstaking uh, going through power quests uh, <laughs> personnel changes, and Royal Hunt would probably give power quest a run for their money and sure enough the only uh what do you call it the only rock is the keyboard player who writes all the music so kind of funny that there's a little bit of a parallel there that andre has always been the the mind driving force and the and the and the keyboards are pretty much what you know is the basis of of all this royal hunt music but uh but anyway um it, it's uh I, I just th- that i just going back to that that just that last note like damn like I, and i decided like pretty shortly after hearing this album for the first time that dc cooper is one of my favorite vocalists ever i think i put him at the time i had him at number two like underneath michael kiss like that's how much i loved his voice and um i loved him in silent force i loved him on his solo album. I loved him when he came back to Royal Hunt. I love whenever a band like Eden bridge would bring him in to do yep. a guest spot. Like just any, give me any excuse to listen to DC Cooper sing. I mean, it's a real, uh, it's just a real joy. And um, I guess just to sign off on tearing down the world, I, I don't think I could mention the song without picturing Mike playing air violin in high school to the beginning of the song, like a, like a madman. Um, so uh, it's funny because even though he was, he looked like a complete lunatic 
love you, Mike. But even though he looked crazy, it somehow looked like he was actually playing, which I think led to the led to the enjoyment that I got out of watching it because it actually looked like he knew what he was doing, which was phenomenal. Because I don't think he's picked up a violin uh, instrument in his life, and quite frankly, he's probably in his room playing. Diablo on guitars as we record this. So it, I, I, it's, it's about the closest thing to a string instrument that he's, he's familiar with, but yeah, phenomenal I track. I, to, I think I have to make a gif of Mike playing the air violin at, in my basement in high at school. At two years old. Oh yeah, no, I'm just, sorry. It's 16. And just post it on, just post it just so, um, the people who have no idea what the hell I'm talking about can have a, a little taste of air violin cryo style. I would, um, strongly, encourage that and i'm behind you 100% and if i have to digitize something for you just say the word i'm more than happy to to oblige wait no um, i got i'm going to put an i'm making a, a reminder on my phone cuz this needs to happen <laughs> i love it um if if tearing down the world doesn't do it for you I, I think message to god will this at one point was probably my favorite royal hunt song of all time i think it still might be um, powerful, powerful lyrics, as you can see from the title itself. I mean, it really is a message to God. In my head, even though I've heard the song a million times, I always kind of thought it was a ballady type of thing, but it's actually not. It's it's not a power ballad at all. It, it, it's a it's it's a simple song, but it's very well constructed, and it just gets heavier and heavier with each verse. Um, concept album aside. If I was the band, this would be my show closer at every single show, just because of the way it builds and the epic way that it ends. I love this song. It is so catchy. And the chorus just, you find yourself singing it for days. I've been singing it all week. Um, I love this song. I'm going to make it my song of the week, but I'll admit that we're going to get to something a little bit later that almost um, eclipsed it. But I just, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with my favorite and I'll, I'll just, I'll make this my song of the week. Let's take a listen. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good choice. Um, I I think it's the only single that they released from this album. Um, and I think that uh, with it came a couple of uh, bonus tracks that we'll talk about at the end of the episode. But uh, yeah, this is probably the most well-known song from the album. And I think that the fact that it follows Tearing Down the World, which I think is the second most <laughs> well-known song from this album, it really shows the the two sides of, of or well, two of the many sides of, of Royal Hunt where there's this one blistering song followed by one really good mid-tempo song. So uh, yeah, let's give it a let's give it a listen. Justin's song of the week, message to God.
You know, one of the things that I think is such a a wonderful thing about this album and the band itself, but it's especially on display on, on Paradox, is the the way that the different tempos throughout the album, I mean, you have like there even on even on some songs there's like multiple tempos, but they do all the tempos so well. They do slow really well. They do mid tempo really well. Tearing down the world just goes to show you that they do fast tempo songs really well. Um, Like every song on this album is fantastic. And and they're so different from one another. Like there are no two songs that sound even remotely similar. And so for them to just slap together, I want to say seven full length songs. I'm not going to count the awakening because it's more of an intro, but so you have seven full length songs that all have their own, kind of flavor and and it, it's a really impressive thing and and i agree with what you said earlier like it's shorter than i remember it being i remember like silent scream kicked in and i was like didn't i just start this like wow yeah. like this is a this is i mean and mind you there's a nine and a half minute song in there so like it's just a it's just such a pleasurable listen and i feel like yes it is under an hour but um it also just moves like it's constantly moving like and you just it's just so enjoyable next thing you know it's 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 over before you realize it started it's the the ebbs and flows are are seamless and for example the next track long way home another acoustic intro which almost mirrors the awakening like exactly again with the with the flute and everything else and here you get your first true ballad on the album and it's a beautiful song I almost forgot how good it was. My one complaint, if I'm like really nitpicking it, that this song, Long Way Home, it feels just a touch long at five minutes and 54 seconds. I feel like maybe it didn't need to be as long and maybe they could have condensed it. But again, that's me looking for, to, to, to find fault with this. It's a great ballad. Uh, and again, it flows because it's, it's tearing down the world was the high point and then message to God brings it down a little bit. Long way home you know, kind of brings it down even further with the ballad. And then you get to time will tell, which I'll, I'll speak about shortly. But um, what were your thoughts on, on this ballad? So to me, this was like, if the awakening was eventually going to be a full song, this is what it would have blossomed into. Um, I think this is uh, kind of like the first time on the album where other than the beginning of the awakening, you're really getting to hear DC, with a, a with a little bit less chaos <laughs> around him, and it's kind of just like D, the DC and and uh, an Andre show. Um, and this is a really fantastic vocal performance. Um, and just the orchestrations and the drums and everything, the way that it, it kind of crescendos and builds up to like that, uh, like about two minutes into the song, like it's like really dramatic, and it's like, oh my god, this is such a such a good song. I, I I don't care that it's six minutes long. It'll be eight minutes long. Like there, you can try to find fault in this album, but th- I don't think there is any. <laughs> yeah, I listen. I I I understand. Um, Time will tell is the most surprising track to me in a number of ways. First of all, it's the longest track you mentioned. It's nine and a half minutes long. Um, I don't think I ever realized the brilliance of this song until recently. And when I say recently, I mean this week. I always knew it was a good song. I always thought it was a great part of the album. 
But there's a couple of things that are so noteworthy about this track. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention them. The bass lines here pop so well on an album where the bass isn't necessarily one of the highlights, but on this particular track, they really stand out and they're fantastic. The orchestration, top notch. And what's amazing is that, you know, we talked about the ebbs and flows earlier. Here, there's so many ideas crammed into this nine and a half minutes that they probably could have done a double album if they would have expanded on some of these ideas just because there are so many of them, but yet they fit together perfectly. I nearly chose this as my song of the week um, just because I was so impressed that going back and listening to it, that after all these years, I would find a track that almost rivaled some of the other ones we've talked about. This is by far the most underrated song on the album, in my opinion. And um, what I remember is that when they played this entire album at Prague Power back in 2015, I remember this track just standing out. Um, you know, you're, you're standing, it's, it's two thirds of the way through the album. They, they started the show with a couple of other songs, some older stuff. And, and here you are, this track was so good live. It was shocking to me in many ways because I never thought of this as one of the stand, standout tracks. It's the, by far the most proggy song on the album. It's a really good tune. And I think it's like so underrated. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I don't think we've ever talked about this track, even going back 25 years. It's just like a track that we've never talked about. So my theory is that like long way home and time will tell kind of where it became the forgotten cream of the Oreo, if you will, of this album, because it was sandwiched in between the river of pain tearing down the world message to God beginning and the silent scream it's over end. And I, you know, I think putting the whole thing together, it really just makes you realize that this album is just, just unbelievable. Start to finish. This song is also I also thought about making it the song of the week just to kind of, I like surprising you, but, um, it's it's up there, um, and it doesn't feel like a nine minute song. I think it's because like the first two minutes are like almost like an intro to when the song really picks up. Um, I I remember this song though. I will tell you something that the lyrics to this song when I was in high school, um, I might have like put them in my like AOL profile or something because I was. I was mad at one of my girlfriends at the time for breaking up with me. So I guess that would make her my ex-girlfriend. And these lyrics just rang so true to me when I was 16, I guess. And it was, uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> it's so dramatic to think that as a 16 year old, <laughs> I posted this, but uh you told me lies. You've tried to put me down. You showed me hell because that's where I've been. I hope you're happy now. I, I didn't like what I have seen. And then um, then the, my favorite is uh, you just can't get enough. You broke my heart. You're so rich now you can ski uphill. <laughs> Tear my life apart. You never asked me how I feel. Oh, my God. I was just like this This song could not have shown up in my life at a better, a better moment. Um, but uh, – Beyond beyond teenage scorn, uh, this um, li like listening to it again, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a bold piece to just kind of throw in the middle of this album where you have these bookends of, that are so strong, 
And, um, but yeah, this is, this song is fantastic. It, it, it actually made me think of some of the songs that I really liked on moving target, which made me want to go back and re-listen to, to that album as well. Um, but yeah, this, this song is, is great. And, uh, I love how it kind of ends with like that. I don't know if you call it like, uh, like rapping on a door or something like that. It sounds almost like a synthesized version of somebody pounding on a door. And then it just leading into that, um, iconic, at least to me, iconic keyboard intro to, to Silent Scream. And, and to that point, Silent Scream is a track that whenever I hear it, and I, and I say this without, fia- without fail, I always think of you. For some reason, you were on this song before anyone. And maybe it's because it's buried at the end, and maybe it's because It's Over is such an iconic closing track, which we'll get to. But whenever I hear Silent Scream, I think about you. So I want I, I have some things I want to add, but I want you to take lead on this. Tell me Tell me why this is probably your song of the week. It's, it is my song of the week. Um, this, so the, the next mixtape after the one that I had put, um, tearing down the world and message to God on, uh, I put both silent scream and it's over as I always considered those to be one, one full song because I mean, there really is no pause in between the two. Um, it's just this two-part epic way to end the album. But um, just it's much the way that Tearing Down the World starts with like this just incredible keyboard part. Like It's just the same way. And then it just, then the guitars come in and just overall, this song just like jolts me out of my seat. 10-year coma I would come out of for this song. Um, (laughs) Just amazing. I was so excited to hear it live, and I think I built it up in my head to a point that I couldn't live up to because the the tempo was a bit slower. It didn't have the live backing vocals, which I'm sure we'll discuss because that's such a iconic part of this era of Royal Hunt sound and really all Royal Hunt albums, having those backing, those backup singers at the time it was... um, Maria McTurk and uh, Elise uh, Hansen. Elise Hansen. Um, it just added such a, di- a different, a, a great dynamic and layer to to what was already this this amazing, uh, you know, musical like masterpiece. Um, but this song is everything that I look for in in, in a metal song. Um, it's it's fast. It's it slows down DC's vocals, the keyboards, the solos, everything about it is like just what I love. And then it just seamlessly goes into the last track. It's, it's over that like, which again is a song that um I think repeats some of the themes from the awakening and, and long way home and stuff towards the end. But uh, before we talk about the last track on the album, let's give uh, silent scream. A little, uh, a little listen. It's going to be hard to pick just a, a minute of this. I paint every single night. Every day I fight a hopeless fight. I don't go back thirty years. I wish that I was dead. Somebody help me out because I can't get to. I'm 
one of the things about this track, and I don't know if it's credit to Andre Anderson or credit to DC Cooper, but the vocal lines that change throughout, just in terms of how he's singing over the same music, blows me away. I don't know whose idea that was or if it was some sort of collaboration between the two, but I think that it's one of the true highlights here. And I've because of that, it's part of the reason I've fallen in love with the song. I don't know if you hear this, but in many ways, this reminds me of a Shadow Gallery song. Not a particular song, per se, but just the feel of a Shadow Gallery song. And I've always admired... Um, you know, DC Cooper obviously having guest done a guest spot on um, on Tyranny. It's it's interesting to me because I wonder if there was you know elements of his songwriting on 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 both of these both this track and on uh, New World Order. I just think there's a little bit of a, a, a synergy there. But the yeah, you, you said it best. It really is one long track with it's over the way it just blends in perfectly into this epic concluding track. And and we put something up um, or somebody had put something up on our, um, our Facebook group, best tracks that end an album. And I know that this was obviously one of your choices and with good reason it's over is a phenomenal, phenomenal ending tune. If, if nothing else, just for the title of the song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you didn't know that it was coming to an end, the, 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 the title gives it away the way this, um, you know, there, there are a lot of good songs that end albums. This is a very, very good way to end it. It is very powerful, and um, it's slower, it's melodic, it's catchy, and it wouldn't fit anywhere else on the album. It needed to be here, and it allows the listener to really kind of take a breath at the end because once this ends, bonus tracks aside, it's a very, it's a very fast listen, but it's a very emotional listen in many ways. Yeah, agreed, a hundred percent. It's um, I love I I I think I actually have "Silent Screw" and "It's Over" merged into one track on my iTunes because I just the idea of listening to one without the other is pointless to me. Like you just, I would feel I wouldn't want to just hear "It's Over" start abruptly, and I wouldn't want to hear "Silent Scream" end without hearing the the rest of it. So to me, like it's just something that. It goes together. It's like uh, peanut butter and chocolate for me. So, um, the la- again, you know, the last note of Silent Scream from DC, another one of just those DC high notes. And then, uh, and then it just kicks it like instantly. The tempo changes. This, and, and even though it flows right into it, it, it you can tell that it's another song. Um, just, uh, Back to kind of that mid-tempo, I think I mentioned before, towards the end, it, it circles back to the, the musical themes from The Awakening. It kind of reminds me of when we talked about uh, Eternity X's The Edge album and how by the end of it, it kind of went back to the beginning, and I love that. And um, to your point about Shadow Gallery, these are two bands I always, in my mind, lumped together, I think, because they both were on Magna Carta. They both were albums or bands that I was able to buy in a store um, that DC being on, um, being on tyranny, like you mentioned. Um, and then you, before when you were talking about the, the flute parts, I was like, maybe they were listening to carved in stone and heard, uh, mm-hmm. Carl Cat and James bust out the old, the old flute. And, and, uh, and maybe that gave them a little inspiration on the, on this album. Who knows? But, um, yeah, it's over caps off, um, just this unbelievable, 
ride that is fast. It's like uh, the Aerosmith rock and roller coaster. It's over before you know it, but boy, it's a hell of a ride if your heart doesn't <laughs> give up you waiting online. <laughs> um, before we before we rate this uh, album, the the bonus tracks are very interesting to me. Yeah, we must we must talk about the bonus tracks. We must. We must. Well, let's start with martial arts. A very, very short, fast instrumental track that, quite frankly, wouldn't fit on the album otherwise, but it makes for a great bonus track. And you talked about the power metal quality earlier. I think this song is another one of those songs that has like a power metal quality to it. And ironically, it's one of their biggest songs, even as a bonus track. Do you want to tell the people why? Because it's Do on you their know first why? album. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's true. But also because Masahiro Chono used this as his entrance theme. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. I forgot about that. That's what I was that. alluding to. Uh, yeah, so this um, this song was on the um, Land of Broken Hearts album. And I think that the band threw it on as a bonus track because being that it's an instrumental, they figured who would t- be able to tell the difference because um, obviously DC wasn't in the band at the time the song came out. But this was a song I remember playing for Brian and Brian – Love this song, and he jokingly used to call it marital arts uh, because if you look at it real quick, it looks like it might say marital arts. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, whatever floats your boat, I guess. But um, it does really kind of fit um, with the with what's going on here, and I, I always kind of appreciated that it was on here. And I guess maybe the band figured since the American audience w- didn't have easy access to those first two albums, throwing a track from the first one. Um, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So uh, my copy had martial arts and the final lullaby as correct. It, that's um, how that's how mine is as well. Yeah, but my understanding is that different versions throughout the world had different bonus tracks. Um, I know that there are radio edits of four of the songs on this album. Um, Tearing Down the World, Message to God, Time Will Tell, and Silent Scream, which um, kind of cuts down some of those songs considerably and also um, gives them an intro or like an in and in, 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 in and out that is, doesn't sound like it's coming off of another song. So it's not so abrupt if you were to play it over the radio. Um, interesting. I mean, I wouldn't want to really listen to like cut versions of any of those four songs, but um, that that those were included um what what are your thoughts on the uh, the final lullaby i completely forgot about this track and maybe it's because the the meat of the album the actual album itself is so powerful but then when i listened to it again it came back to me pretty quickly it's an acoustic ballad it's a cool little song i think it's a little unremarkable um it has a bit of it's over quality to it in the way that the vocal lines are there and part of me thinks it actually was meant to be on the album itself, but it's just a notch below in terms of the staying power that the other songs did. So maybe they just kind of figured, let's just throw it on at the end. But because of the nod to it's over in certain spots here, I do think it was probably intended to be on the album proper. It's a good song. I'm happy that I listened to it, but it's not something that like, I, I go back to a lot, if that makes sense. It, it's the only song on the album that actually wasn't written by Andre. This one was written by Steen, um, which um, I'll tell you what it re- made me think of. It made me think of DC's first solo album, one of the slower songs from it. Um, 
but uh, it's yeah, it's it's definitely the weakest song I think of all the songs that I think we're discussing. But still, I mean, that's really not a huge knock, being that the songs on this album are so good. Um, and this was also found on the "Message to God" single as a B side, along with a uh, an acoustic version of "Far Away," which was a big a big hit for the band in Japan. Uh, from the Moving Target album, so there's a cool acoustic version. Not sure if there is, um, not sure if it's on any of the versions of Paradox, but it, it was on the um, was on the uh, the Message to God single. Might have been, might have been a bonus track on the Moving Target US edition. I, I don't know. Like the, Royal Hunt was kind of scattered with their bonus tracks um, throughout the different versions and everything. But man. The song Restless is one of my favorite Royal Hunt songs. I almost made it my song of the week, but I thought it would be huh. blasphemous to make a bonus track from Paradox. I absolutely love this song, and it didn't really hit me until a few years ago, really, that, like, how the hell was this a bonus track? This song is fantastic. Um, it's I don't know if it was recorded for Paradox. It's a bonus track on Live 1996 in some regions. It was a bonus track on my copy of Moving Target. <laughs> um, it's a bonus track on some copies of Paradox. I don't know when it was recorded. I don't know where it came from. But it, it's DC Cooper and it's um, kind of it's mid mid tempo. Um, it's. It's so catchy. It's such a good song. I absolutely love it, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to not mention it. I think it's a great song. I don't think it fits on the album, and I I have it on my copy of Moving Target. I feel like it was a song that was written well before Paradox, and just kind of never made it onto anything. And they're like, let's just slap it on at the end. But yeah, I agree. It's it's a fantastic, fantastic song. It, probably, it could have been on Moving Target, and like, uh, it would have seamless. Fit- yeah, would have fit yeah. perfectly on on. Oh man, I almost want to pick Moving Target for next week just because. Boy, that is another album. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it at some point in long form. But there's a lot of good stuff on that album too, and, and same with. I mean, honestly, the first two albums too have a ton of really good songs. We talked about a bunch of them from those first three when we did the live 1996 episode, but. Uh, what do you what do you rate this album? Because I've been waiting for like two weeks to hear where you were gonna rank it, and um, it's I it's can't I can't imagine that you can give it anything lower than a nine and a half. Honestly, no, you can't. And 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 here's the thing: there was a long time where if you asked me to bring a ten discs on a desert island, I would have brought this disc with me, and it would have been in the top five. I mean, with Mind Crime possibly the edge this i mean there's like albums that you just they would have been with me and i can listen it over and over again i think i kind of psyched myself out a bit and played it out too much and that's why i haven't listened to it since prog power you know seven years ago just because i i don't know for some reason i just had just made a conscious decision not to play it again so it was it was great going back i have been oscillating with the score all week there are points where i give it a unequivocal 10. There are points where I've given it like a 9.5, a 9.75. 
But I think because of the fact that I was away from it for so long and then having gone back and listened to it, I can't not say it's a perfect album. I'm not sure that there's anything I would change. Yeah, okay, the ballad was a little long, but it wasn't long in an obtrusive way. Again, I was nitpicking. So if I can't find anything wrong with it and I think it's their best album, how can I not give it a 10? So I'm going to give it the the, the Herald a 10 because it, it is a perfect concept album. I probably spent a lot less time thinking about it than you did when I said to myself, it's a 10. It was a 10 before it was a 10 before I listened to it again. It was a 10 after it's always <laughs> going to be a 10. It's one of the, it's one of the best albums I've ever heard. It's one of my favorite albums ever. Um, I agree with you. There was probably a time where I kind of got just sick of it because I, by my own fault of just replaying it over and over and over again. But it's up there with tyranny and images and words and, and the Avantasia's first metal opera album, which is some of the, some of the albums that we've given tens to, I think that it belongs in that, um, rarefied air. And, uh, I, I just think that, um, they've, the band has always, or at least as fans of the band, it's always been like chasing that dragon that like, can they top this? And, and they, I think they, they, did the unenviable thing in, in making a paradox part two, which I think was it not never the goes best well. idea in the world, especially without DC. Oh. Um, but uh, I'll be honest. Like I, I might've listened to it like once or twice. I think I actually have it autographed by the band. Cause I think I bought it at Prague power 10 when they performed. Um, but uh, I, I, I've really enjoyed what they've done since DC's rejoined the band, as I mentioned before. Um, do you have any, uh, just uh, any additional thoughts about getting to see Paradox performed live? I have been blessed to see many of my favorite albums perform live in their entirety. Uh, the Perfect Element, obviously, Remedy Lane from Pain of Salvation, Mind Crime, Images and Words, Visions by Stradivarius, Scenes from a Memory, this album. And these are many of my favorite albums of all time. And their performance held up with all of their other stuff. In other words, there was nothing about that performance which knocked this album for me. It, it, they did it justice when they played it live. Um, I hope we haven't seen the last of them. I would love to see them again. Um, but yeah, their performance was flawless. DC sounded great. It was it was just a really good show. They're um, they're they're a professional band. There's no question about it. There's a reason that I don't book metal festivals because I would have them headlining, playing all of Moving Target. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's a reason I just I just suggest things, and that's about as far as my uh, my pull goes as, as far as bands getting booked. But. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, this next is, year. Um, yeah, maybe next year. Uh, um, yeah, this is one of the, uh, going back through, thank God for this, uh, this spreadsheet that we put together. This is, um, only the fourth album that we've, uh, that we've talked about that we've given, we've both given tens to, um, and that includes, uh, images and words, um, as well as, uh, Avantage's metal opera and tyranny. So yeah. that's where that's where our heads are at as far as you know, great elite, elite albums. Yeah, and yeah, uh, this would definitely be a desert 
album disc for me, as long as it was the version that had Restless as the bonus track. That, <laughs> there I, you my, go. My, my little, my little, uh, you know, like my, the, my little wish for my desert island. Just get me whatever. If it's the, uh, the, the, I don't know if it's the South Korean version or the <laughs> Indonesian version, but whichever one has it, I don't know, the, the Ukrainian version, whichever, get me that copy. Um, I think I actually have the South Korean version of Live 1996, which has Restless as a bonus track. <laughs> so you're not version. too far off. Oh, for, for the love of God. What, 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 what unbelievable confusion. So, uh, yeah, Nops, thank you so much for this. I think we would have gotten to it eventually, but you kind of uh, pushed us to get to it sooner. Kind of surprising. Or This is uh, episode 112. Um and we'd only really discussed their, that one live album, which I still consider one of my favorite live albums ever. Um, We're due for another live album, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention a couple of news items before we go real long on this. Um, some sad news. UFO singer Phil Mogg suffered a heart attack, and they're being forced to cancel um, their tour dates, where, which were basically their farewell tour, which was supposed to kick off October 15th. Um, what else needs to be said other than we haven't done a UFO album. I actually think that that would be a lot of fun and, and maybe we'll do it eventually uh, in the not so distant future, but uh, sad news there, but I don't want to end on, on the sad news. I want to end on um, other news. So Manowar is going to go out on tour. Oh, so you want to end on, you want to end on something ridiculous is what you really, Oh, want. I haven't even gotten to the <laughs> ridiculous part yet. The, well, you the, said the, Manowar, so we're already in the air of ridiculousness <laughs> just from their name being mentioned. Sit, sit back. Uh, in 2023, they are going on tour and is that, aptly, is that the joke? That's the joke, right? No, the, the joke would be if they actually played the, right. the, 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 the tour is called the crushing the enemies of metal tour. You wouldn't want an enemy of metal at your show. So let's crush them and, and make everybody aware that your enemies have been crushed. But no, no, even that is not the most ridiculous part about well, this. And I do want to point out that this is the um, the much anticipated tour following the last tour ever, Manowar tour. Uh, yes. So, so yes. clearly they're following the Motley Crue rules <laughs> uh, of retirement or the Ric Flair rules if you want to give it a pro <laughs> wrestling spin. So, Or even, you know what? I'm sorry. Terry Funk. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Now for the uh, now for the other news. Manowar was going to schedule this uh, this tour, but they needed a guitar player. So who did they choose? Uh, let's let's go back in the archives to a band called Nitro. They have recruited Michelangelo Barrio, the the shredder that he is, to play guitar for Manowar. I am not sure that the Eagles can fit in one room. Or on one stage, even if it's at Vakin, where the stage is absolutely gigantic. It won't I remember because they're never going to make it onto a stage, so it won't matter. My money is on that. But when I, I, I remember watching this video that Brian had sent us with the double head guitar, where he's basically spinning this thing around. It is the most ridiculous <laughs> thing I have ever seen in my life. I'm gonna maybe I'll just post it later today because. You know, it's because I can and because it's absolutely hysterical. But yeah, Michelangelo, Badio, Manowar, we'll see what happens. I, I don't think I'll be there, but I think that they'll be announced. I, I think they'll be announcing dates in the not so distant future. Get ready. Uh, so anyway, with, with, with that, with that uh, I, I'm very curious to hear your album of the week uh, for next week, seeing as it's been a while. And I'm, I'm really curious to see what you're going to choose. 
Well, it's amazing that you brought that up because I was going to choose a Nitro album. No, I'm just yeah, but I'm, I'm going to call bullshit on that. Yeah. So I had a, I had a number of things kind of rattling in my head, um, two of which were brought up on our Facebook group and one of which um, just kind of came up um, organically uh, through the last two weeks. But I, I'm going to go with something that, that was um, brought up on in, in the group. Um, mainly because um, this is a band we've only discussed once, I believe, and it's time to discuss them again because they're worthy of multiple discussions, and that's Stradivarius. But the album that I want to go with is actually Dreamscape, um, just because this was the last album that they did with Timo Tolki as vocalist, and um, I forgot who had mentioned it in the, in the, in the group chat, but um, it got me kind of uh thinking about that that album again and and we had talked about the album that followed it fourth dimension in the past so uh we're kind of sticking to these early days of stradivarius uh there's they have so many albums that come out since then even since timo toki left the band altogether they've released a number of albums uh, least of which is one that's coming out very soon um but um this this kind of piqued my my interest um just hearing it brought up and it was one of my earlier uh, Stradivarius experiences so um, that, that's that's kind of what I'm going to go with here. Um, I, I know Mike Johnson men- uh, mentioned it. I can't remember if he was the one who posted about it initially or he chimed in on it. Whatever. Uh, I want to talk about it so that's what I'm nice. going with. Um, a very, very different time for the band and just from memory serving, I, I, I always thought that this was a phenomenal... I, I think Twilight Time is underrated. I think Dreamscape is underrated. But I'm curious to go did back say, to them. Did I say Dreamscape or Dreamspace? Well... I think it's it's, it's Dreamspace. But I it's Dreamspace. Dream I think you said Dreamscape. Yeah. But again... Because well, that's, that's the band. I was thinking of the band. But yeah, Dreamspace. Yeah. Dreamspace, yeah. yeah. It's it's from, 1990, from 1994. This is a really interesting album. Um, I think it's underrated along with Twilight Time, but I haven't listened to it in a long time. It'll be interesting. Um, I remember remarking that Timo Tolki would never be confu- confused for like uh, the voice of an angel, but the songwriting on this is really good. So we'll see how we'll see how it fares. But he would be confused with the voice of a tower. Because he is the voice of a tower on Avantage's Metal Opera Part 1. It's a little throwback to one of our earlier episodes. So. Absolutely correct. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We'll do some Stradivarius next week. I look forward to it. Uh, enjoy the week, bud. I will talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks to everybody who's uh, you know, uh, commented on the group chat. We, we noticed a couple of, uh, a couple of nice comments. Uh, comments on our um our itunes part or whatever you want to call it where, where the the podcast is on itunes um a couple of nice comments there from tj and um and brian uh so thank you for that um and uh just keep spreading the word and and uh you know the i feel like the podcast is is really growing especially since we've gotten everybody involved in the chat so thanks for every to everybody for getting involved and and thanks for thanks for listening and all the kind words and uh just keep spreading the word and uh you know one day we'll be the most listened to power metal slash prog metal slash monkeys slash green day (laughs) podcast on all of uh on all of itunes and all of your favorite listening platforms so and don't forget to uh to just go to our link tree page we are 
pretty much everywhere. Uh, we have an Instagram, we have a Twitter, we have a Facebook, we have a Facebook group, we have Spotify, we our podcasts are on Spotify, iTunes, uh, you name it. We have playlists on Spotify. We have uh, we have a Twitch channel that we never used. So um, yeah, we're everywhere. So if you just can't decide where to find us, just pull up that Linktree page and you'll find us. Maybe. Maybe one day we'll have a website, like like it's 1997 all over again. <laughs> I like it. Cheers, bud. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care, buddy.